possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Welcome to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in downtown Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop show music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series. My guest today is Kent McInvale, a marketing press representative for Broadway touring shows. Kent has worked with the Palace Theater over the years on their Broadway series. Welcome to the program, Kent. Thank you, Stuart. It's so good to be here. I thought it would be very interesting for our audience because when it comes to productions, Broadway productions, off-Broadway, there are so many different people that are involved in order to make a show work. And that's, I guess you could say, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, and you know, someone like yourself who is an integral part because you can have a show, but if people don't know about it... Good point, yes. <laughs> we like to have, uh, in before times, we like to have nice full audiences and we hope to have them again. <laughs> and, and it's, I guess I would say, because I'm an optimist, I'm, I'm looking at the news and thinking, it's getting better. It will be interesting. I, I, I think late spring, early summer there might be some movement as opposed to maybe just the fall. In terms of the touring shows, we're really focusing on the fall. Um, of course, the, one of the complications with that is that there are so many different states, cities involved. Um, we have to make sure everyone's back uh, ready to go, obviously before a national tour can go out, because it can't just play three states and stop. It has to be able to go everywhere. But you're right. All the positive news is making me very hopeful that we may be back at it earlier than anticipated. I think it's interesting what you just said, because when I, in the first episode of the Broadway Buzz, I interviewed Frank Tavera, who's the CEO of the Palace Theater, and he was saying the exact same thing. And, and I really hadn't stopped to think about that, where a national tour is just what it says, a national tour. It's not the New England tour or the New England and a couple of mid-Atlantic states. So you really have to have, you really have to look at the whole country. And not only that, but you can't just snap your fingers and the tour is ready. So are, are a lot of these national tours sort of in a, a big hangar, just waiting to get the phone call or do they really have to start from scratch? Yeah, absolutely. Many of them are in very different places. But like you said before, the, sometimes I think people don't totally understand uh, the logistics of, of how a national tour works. Um, I've been out visiting tours before, and audience members have said to me, is this the Broadway cast? You know, is this the cast that's just come from New York? Uh, and I think sometimes people don't realize if you have a national tour that's going to go out on the road and the show's still playing on Broadway, there has to be a brand new cast, the company, there has to be an all-new set built for the show. Um, you know, the props, the prop master, the stage manager, uh, plus all the trucks that get the show from city to city. Um, so basically an entire second production has to be put together, and that's the one that goes around the country. And it 
the financial model relies on it being able to be contiguous, right? It's got to be closed on Sunday and open on Tuesday in the next market. And to be able to fill all the weeks of the year is very important for the, for the tours to be able to be successful. In terms of right now and where they are, uh, many tours on March 12th were, you know, had, were in the theater playing. They had to find a way to get the cast home. They had to find a way to get the sets out of the theater and back onto the truck. So in most cases, the sets came back out and got on the truck and have just been put in storage somewhere. I've heard from some colleagues that there are sets still sitting in theaters somewhere, have to come out at some point when it's safe again to do so. In terms of relaunching, shows that were out and running, I think are going to have a little bit of a different trajectory than shows that still have to cast, train, build the set, we're working on both of them. And from speaking with the producers, it sounds like, I mean, obviously people have to come back together and have another rehearsal and have a brush up. Before that, all the company has to be contacted and asked if they want to be reemployed on the show because everyone's been sort of sitting at home for a year. <laughs> some of them have decided not to be actors anymore and some of them <laughs> have moved on. So I think that's step one is who wants to go back out and step two is how can we all safely get back together and re-rehearse and get ready to go? And the shows that were up on their national tour are going to have a shorter restart period than the ones that still have to cast and train. I've heard casting has started for some shows and people are doing virtual casting right now. So Zoom interviews and, and casting and, and audition tapes and that sort of thing. That must be tough, though, for a company that is relying on, let's say, the stars or the featured actors or actresses, and then the directors or producers call them up and they say, oh, I've left the field, or, oh, you know, I'm not really interested anymore. You could have almost have half the production ready to go, and then the other half, you're back to square one. That's right. That's right. And, and in most cases, hopefully there's another actor who perhaps played that role on Broadway or in another company that could be identified. But you're right, if there's a star vehicle and that star doesn't want to do it anymore, then it might be difficult. You know, for a show like, let's say, Hamilton, where there's four or five companies, I imagine it's less challenging to try and reassemble a company than it would be for maybe something that's brand new. That, that doesn't have the, the benefit of all those different companies. And I would imagine also, like you said, since March 12th and everything shut down and it's now a year, if people get a call, I think they'll probably say, sure, <laughs> I'll be employed again. <laughs> I, I think that one of the things that we've all probably learned, and I hope that we sort of continue carrying forward, you know, is, is an appreciation for what we had. I think in all aspects of the business, we've all been missing sitting in the theater in the dark, having a communal experience for so long that I think it's going to change the way we go back. And I think it's going to change the way we continue to appreciate that. So looking into your crystal ball, because that's sort of what your function is, is getting those people into the seats. So what do you think once once the national tours are set, so for example, the Palace Theater has stated 
their Broadway series is going to begin in fall of 2021. So you're assigned to to help. What what do you think? Do you think people are going to be leery? Do you think people are going to say, yeehaw, I've been waiting for this for months and let me just buy as many tickets as I can? Yeah, I think there's going to be all of those reactions and a lot more. You know, I think what we've seen already is that just in very broad strokes, younger people tend to be more ready when it's then when there's an opportunity to go back to maybe it's outdoor dining or go to maybe a drive-in movie. So I think there's going to be those early adopters who are ready to not be sitting in their house anymore and to go out and enjoy theater. And then I think there's going to be people who it's going to take a little bit more time. They're going to have to be convinced a little bit more. And my personal opinion is the way to convince people is not all the theaters are doing an amazing job of cleaning and protocol and safety and everything that they're going to do to protect their. I'm not sure that leaning too heavily on that is what's going to convince people to come back to the theater. I think that's a clinical antiseptic thing that has to exist. But I think what is going to draw people back into the theater is the emotion that you only get, the experience that you only get living life through these people on stage. And I think that's what ultimately people are going to have to yearn for so much that they're ready to go back. Well, I've told people after giving it a couple of tries, I, I can't watch live streaming on TV. And I have, I have it set up so it can go from my computer to my nice size TV. I can't. I've tried. And to me, that's why it's live theater. I need that, that all those emotions, all those experiences from both what you get on stage, the audience members, I, I just can't do it. So, you know, I do need that. And, um, and I will be one of the first, I think, to, yeah. to go to the theater. I think so many people need that. And I think that necessity has taught us all that there are certain things that we can do virtually that maybe we weren't quite ready to do virtually. And I hope that we carry some of this forward, too. I hope that we can take everything we've learned and move forward in a way that isn't just what we did before, but is a, a combination of the very best. Um, I've heard people say, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to get to hear some of the creators of these shows, maybe in conversation, the author of a show, the composer of a show, and, and every uh, audience member across the country isn't able to see that. Um, and I've heard marketing people at the various venues say to me, how can we replicate this for our audiences? How can we bring this kind of intimate conversation to our audiences? And I think now that people have gotten much more comfortable with um, virtual online experiences, I think that's the kind of place where, say, two weeks before a show comes to your market, if there's going to be an online conversation with the director and the choreographer, and you're going to get to hear a little bit of insight before you go and see the show, I think a lot of audience members might really enjoy that opportunity. And there's really not a lot of preparation for that. You just, yeah. here's, here's the Zoom or whatever medium you, you're using. Here's the account and go in and those people can be anywhere. So yeah, the national right. tour could be in Michigan and it's coming to Waterbury next week. Doesn't matter. They could just be online. 
And you're right. I think one of the things I really love about regional theater is in their programs, we'll call them their playbills, they usually have a lot of background information about the show. And Broadway shows don't have that. Every so often they do, but for the most part, it's here's the show. And and I really enjoy, before a show starts at a regional theater, to read about it. So I'm not sitting there thinking, what are they, what's going on or why are they doing this? Oh, here's the background for that. So if the director, creative people, actors or actresses, sort of those the talkbacks they do yeah. on stage. Well, I guess you could say instead of a talkback, a before talk. Pre-talk. <laughs> yeah. That, that that would help and so yeah that would be a great a great idea that I, I i'd like to see theaters do that yeah we we there's a, a conference um held by the broadway league the trade organization for all of the theaters and they they call them creative conversations they'll take that opportunity to bring in somebody and a moderator maybe it's cast members maybe it's someone behind the scenes and we get you know, 30, 45 minutes to just hear, why did we create this show? What was the inspiration for this? What were some of the trials and tribulations with getting it to the stage? And it's, it's always so fascinating. And people, you know, it's, it's marketing people at venues and presenters at venues who say, how can we get this to our folks? And I think, you know, the world's gotten a little smaller. We are able to connect and communicate and share. And I think that's maybe one thing that we can do to augment the theater going experience. Kent, we're going to take a quick break, then we're going to come back. So I'm speaking with Kent McInvale, who is a marketing press rep for National Tours, and we're going to be back with more of our conversation after this short break. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones, whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. You are listening to the Broadway Buzz. My name is Stuart Brown, and we are speaking with Kent McInvale, a marketing press rep for Broadway National Tours. So, Kent, how about if you talk about, in essence, what does that mean? My understanding is that you really don't have anything to do with, let's say, Broadway theaters or or productions off-Broadway. You are out in the hinterlands. Yes, that's right. So once a show has perhaps played on Broadway, Um, or played on the West End, and they decide they'd like to do a national tour, that's when we are involved. Um, I mean, it's better if we can be involved from the very beginning. Um, For several shows, we've, you know, been hired when they're starting their Broadway run, and we can attend the marketing meetings and the producer meetings and hear all the things they're learning. But in essence, our job as marketing and press reps for tours is to take all the knowledge and information about the show and 
how it sells and who the audience is and best ways to get press and, and, and advertise the show and carry that across the country. So we're working with the presenter, the, the person at each venue in each market who's bringing the show to their market. And each presenter has a marketing um, team and a press team. And we're sharing with those folks all the information about the branding of the show and the, the best ways to advertise the show and do press for the show. Um, so I'll get the great joy of working with, you know, 25 different marketing teams throughout a season, perhaps, as the show's going from market to market. Um, in the Broadway marketing meetings, it's interesting because they'll put up maybe a chart of here's how our sales look for the next nine months. And their sales are all in the same theater, in the same city for the next nine months. And of course, with the tour marketing meeting, we're looking at sales for the next nine months. And it's the same show, but it's in a different theater in a different media market, uh, in a different size theater many times. So it's just a, a, an interesting way of looking at the same type of thing. But, you know, it's got to close on Sunday and open on Tuesday in a brand new city. What are sort of the tricks of the trade that you use to promote the shows in various cities? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting especially to see when you go to a, a media market where advertisements are so much uh, more affordable than they are in New York or, or a huge market where the, they're super expensive and you, your dollars don't go nearly as far. So you're trying to, of course, maximize the show's advertising budget uh, in various different media markets. We're about connection and communication, right? So because there's the local marketing team that works in that market all the time. They have the relationships with their TV stations and their outdoor and um, their digital providers and all of that stuff. So they know all the resources that they can use to reach their audience. And what we bring to the table is all of the unique special things about the show. What are the most effective advertisements? What are the most effective promotions um, or press angles? So I've found the key is really how can we make those two things work together? How can we find the middle ground? We sort of come at it from a very collaborative point of view. Like, I think what's going to be best for the production is for us to take the very best of what we've learned, the very best of what you've learned, and make them really work together. When you're working on a tour, are you in the city that the show is in when it opens, or are you sort of one or two steps ahead so let's say if it's going from Waterbury to Dover, Delaware to, I don't know, North Carolina. When the show's in Waterbury, are you in Dover? Are you in North Carolina? Or are you in Waterbury? And when the final curtain drops, you're, on, you're in the car speeding down to Dover. It's, it's a really good question. In the, the original days of national touring, the tour press rep literally would precede the tour. If they were headed from Waterbury to Dover, the, the press rep would be there in advance, making sure everything was set up and ready to go. We can do most of that remotely now. I'm typically based in one spot, and I can be on the phone and email and Zoom with people in all the markets, sort of keeping all the plates spinning. But when the tour is actually launching, there'll be a market where it's going to 
have its technical rehearsals and then open. I'm typically there the whole time for that process so that I'm learning about this company, getting to know the company manager and the stage manager and the particular actors that are in the show. And then I'll advance several of the markets, go there in advance, meet with the marketing team and make sure the promotions and the press and everything is set up. And then we'll go out for special events. Maybe we're opening in a huge city or there's a a city where something important is happening. One example was on the summer national tour, summer, the Donna Summer musical, their opening market was Cleveland, Ohio, where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was. And so we worked with Donna Summer's family to organize a donation of a few of her gowns to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then we worked with all of the markets on the tour and we said the very best way of selling summer is to get those folks who know the music the very best talking about it. So we got each of the markets on tour to send a DJ to Cleveland and we had this group of marketing people from around the country and DJs from around the country and we all attended the opening night and then the next morning we all went over to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and attended an event where Uh, One of Donna Summer's daughters was there donating the gowns. Several members of the cast were there. So there was a media junket and a dance party and people could go through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that worked specifically for that show because DJs get so hyped about hearing the music, about reliving, you know, that show is really about reliving that disco era, dancing and singing along and really just being part of the fun so that that then helped all the other markets on the tour. Those DJs could go back and could be the advocates and could really hype the show before it got to town. What are some of the shows that you've worked on that you've enjoyed just from the perspective of either the promotion went well or you just clicked with the show and and just had a, a really good time? It's not like choosing your favorite child, of course, but some of the shows I really fall in love with and I like them to a level that's absurd and I become an, a, a completely biased <laughs> party to them. But some of the ones that have been particularly stand out throughout the career, obviously Jersey Boys has been such a joy to work on. One of the ways that I've been able to stretch working on Jersey Boys, Jersey Boys has had the luxury of being able to play multiple times in these various cities such a big hit. People love it. It has such a wide audience appeal that it can continue to go back and go back. But you can't simply rely on doing the very same thing that you did the first time the show came to the city. So we're constantly finding new ways to market the show, new ways to appeal to different audiences, and new press angles to talk to, talk to the press about. Hey, we wrote that story three years ago, so we've got to have something new to talk about now. So for one of the challenges on that show has just been to consistently come up with new things to talk about. Another show that's been a particular joy to work on has been A Bronx Tale. And that launched its second national tour there at the Palace in Waterbury. Chaz Palminteri wrote The Bronx Tale as a one-man show for himself when he wasn't getting the kind of jobs that he wanted. He said, well, I'm going to write my own show so I can do this. And it became a huge sensation as a one-man show, then as a film directed by Robert De Niro. 
So then the musical was co-directed by Robert De Niro and Jerry Zaks. So we had planned this press event for the first day of rehearsal. A few people were going to come. They were going to meet the cast and sort of talk. It was going to be a little bit low key. We were going to mostly let it just be the cast getting to know each other. And I got a call first thing in the morning, like a secret clandestine call. De Niro's going to show up at the event. We need to get press there. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like the, the hitting the panic button, but also like such a exciting moment for a press rep, right? Like Robert De Niro wasn't going to be at this event and he's decided to come. And now it's our job to what can we do to let people know, to get video, to get photos so that we can really use that to help share the excitement about Jersey, about, sorry, Bronx Tale launching its tour and Robert De Niro is there. What about any good, juicy stories from from the road, the road warrior, you know, funny stories or mishaps that you don't have to name names or you can name shows, but, you know, just anything that, that comes to mind that might be a little entertaining for the audience? Yeah, I've given this a lot of thought. Many of those stories are rather mundane, but, but one thing does come to mind. Love Letters is a play by fabulous A.R. Gurney. It played on Broadway with a number of different celebrity couples. It was decided that the national tour would star Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. So the excitement of getting to promote a show, you know, with Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill, who had starred in this hit film Love Story, and now they're going to star in Love Letters across the country. So exciting. But obviously, because it's them, you can't use any of the footage or promotional materials or anything from Broadway. So our challenge was how can we promote these two people doing this particular show when we basically don't have any, you know, you can't run footage of the the Broadway couples who had done the show. So we, we came up with this idea, let's get them together and we can do a photo shoot and a video shoot maybe. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. So that morning, the snow had sort of started to fall, and it was really beautiful. And we said, is there any chance we could get you out walking through Central Park arm in arm with the snow falling? Because that feels like that says everything that you want to know about Allie McGraw and Ryan O'Neill in Love Letters. And they said, sure, we're up for that. So we went out to Central Park. We had a video crew and a camera crew and the whole thing, and we just got them arm in arm walking through Central Park. And it made this beautiful video that became our television commercial and our promotional video. And we used photos from that day to sort of help promote the show. And it, it just brought people back to, I can't imagine anything better than sitting in a the theater and hearing those two read those letters to each other. <laughs> it's so sweet. She would get asked all the time, you know, of all the different opportunities you must have, why, why did you want to do this? And she said, one of the most joyful things is the chance for us to work together again. We haven't worked together since we did the movie. We just are so fond of each other. And the opportunity to get to work together means the world to us. And it was so sweet. And the way they would walk out hand in hand to start the show and the roar that you would hear from the audience, it was just a really beautiful moment. And they had genuine affection for each other. They, they looked after each other and supported each other. It was a joyful thing to work on. That's a nice story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, another 
tour that was a, a big challenge to figure out how we could possibly do press in the right way was Warhorse. Did you happen to see Warhorse? I saw the original Lincoln Center. It yes. is probably in my top five shows of all time. Well, I say working on it, and you see it a hundred times, right? Because you see all the technical rehearsals and this and this and this. It's so moving. These larger than life horse puppets, within a second, you 100% are invested in the idea that these are horses. And this one has a genuine connection with this young man. And now they're separated. And how the heck are we going to solve that? But to promote the show, you go to a new city. We pull into Cincinnati to start the show. How do you do press on Warhorse, right? <laughs> and us over in the press department kept saying, we've got to find a way to get this horse out. We've got to find a way to let the media see the horse, interact with the horse. And of course, you know, the, the job of the producers and the general managers is to keep the costs under control. And obviously it was, a, it was quite an endeavor to get these horses out. Uh, but we all, you know, put our heads together and worked at it for a few weeks to try and really solve this. And we came up with something that became really special. We were able to do, Joey was the name of the main horse and war horse. And we were able to do what we call Joey Press Day, where they had the horse technician sort of change his load-in schedule so that Joey could be assembled first. You know, they had a load-in schedule of how they would get the sets and the costumes and everything in. And they, they reworked that so that we could get Joey prepared to do press on the Tuesday morning. So Joey, we would assemble all the media in the lobby, the cameras, the photographers, everybody would be there in the lobby assembled and somebody would welcome them and say a few words about the show. And then Joey would enter the lobby to, of course, gasps and people were so excited. And um, so they took their pictures and they took their video and we had some of the puppeteers come out and talk about the process of how they train to, to do this. And then in many markets, we were able to have Joey then, all the cameras would go outside, Joey would walk outside the lobby and meet a real horse. And this is something that I couldn't even have imagined, but they, the producers told us, oh, it's really special when Joey meets a real horse. And we said, okay, we wanna do that <laughs> on Tuesday morning in every market across America. <laughs> and so we did it. We would either find, you know, some markets there would be rescue farm where horses would, would go who had either been, you know, racehorses could retire or horses that had been in service would go there. They would maybe bring one of the rescue horses. In some markets, we would have mounted police horses come out and meet Joey. Um, and it was always just such a special moment because the horses believed that Joey was a horse as much as you and I believe that Joey was a horse, the only thing that the puppeteers finally sort of let me in on is the only thing that the horse can tell that Joey isn't a horse is the way he smells. So the way that we would solve that is the puppeteers would go outside first and meet the real horses. So the horses got to know what the puppeteers smelled like. So then when Joey came out and they would kind of cut their eyes over and I don't know what this is. This looks like another horse. And they would sort of approach cautiously. And then when they would smell the puppeteers, they would know, okay, this is a friendly, this is a friend. <laughs> this isn't something to be scared about. You're right. right? Once you see those, those puppets, that's going to bring people, hopefully, to the, to the theater. 
Yeah, you know, I've been asked throughout my career many times, for instance, say Jersey Boys. A presenter might say to me, I want my big donors to get to meet the Jersey Boys. I think that would be such a thrill for them. And they would do like a pre-show cocktail event and these four actors would come in and there's just, no matter who they are, there's just a little bit of a lack of something because they, the, they don't know who they are. And it's the same with like the puppeteers of Warhorse. Like you could do an interview with three people, but if you are just meeting maybe three super amazing and talented puppeteers who you just don't really know who they are, that's one thing. But if you can do a press event where you see them perform as Joey and then Joey gallops off and the three puppeteers come back out, then there's a media opportunity and everyone wants to hear what's it like, what's it like, what's it like. So that's what we've also done with Jersey Boys as anytime there's a special group or a donor group or anyone who needs to meet them, that's always after the show. Because once you've seen them essentially become the Four Seasons live on stage and deliver the most fabulous concert you've ever heard in your life, then you can't wait to meet them and ask them questions and talk to them and hear more about them. That's the, the magic of theater, I think. And that's what helps make those puppeteers and the actors a little bit more exciting is when you can see a little bit of the craft and then get to hear more about them and what they've gone through to, to be able to perform those roles. Well, Kent, thank you so much for these stories. I think I could stay here all day listening to, uh, you know, these great ideas and how you come up with and, and sort of, you know, what your role is in bringing to life these musicals and bringing them to the audiences outside of the, the New York area. So thank you, uh, Kent, for being on the Broadway Buzz. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. My guest has been Kent McInvale, a marketing press rep for Broadway touring shows. And we'll probably see or hear more of Kent once theaters begin to reopen around the country. You have been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway Buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace.